1: a goal who
0: got the assist who got the assist
1: Hello. So now the end is near. So we face the final, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. God, what a cliché starts the pod that could have been Anthony, but it was a dark and stormy night of late season podcast openings. Eh? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. I promise. Uh, but anyway, we're back for our penultimate podcast of the season. Those on Twitter will have seen news already, but no Nick tonight. A little baby Marina was born on Monday. Hopeful to have him back for the final run out of the season next week. Uh, but nonetheless, so if you didn't know um baby and Mama are doing very very well and nick's obviously over the moon um, But obviously you can't be here tonight nonetheless we are who got resist find me on twitter at wca FPL. nick wca underscore nick anthony at fpl stag also on instagram wca.fpl and anthony as you've uh, heard is here raring to go for the last but one time this campaign
0: no tom good to be back again for this final part of the final uh, rapid record pod after game weekends as well of the season which is nice for us and especially yourself with the editing uh pod today of course we're going to be looking at game week 38 no surprise there and in doing so we're going to embrace the uniqueness of game week 38 over the last few years and every year really because it is a kind of bizarre game week that exists within a vacuum in and of itself. So how are we going to look at that? We're just going to look at what happened in the Game Week 38s in the past. points per or Goals per game, random results, historic results, uh, random things that happened with people retiring and the like. It's, it's a weird week, and uh, we're going to have a look at that. Um, we'll also have some correspondence, as per usual, and listeners' questions and answers. First off, though, we're going to start with the game week reviews. We're going to throw the Mini League in pretty early as well, as well as the Market Forces.
1: Well, I think the the game review this week again stays with you, doesn't
0: it? It does, yeah, yeah. I like throwing it to you, just you know, for the second where I can just pretend that it isn't me who had the shocker of a game week. But no, it's me who had the shocker, forty points net. So that's a red arrow from. I kind of started the game week just under twenty nine k. I will end it just outside thirty seven k post subs, which is disappointing um where why what happened well ba- like look like everybody my captain failed you know unless you were uh, mad enough to go for someone like joe willock it was a bad week for the captaincy so i had sat on that and look that's obviously gonna change your score a little bit and then things just didn't go right for me i had mendy in goals and because i was playing mendy i decided not to play rudiger so he was on my bench so that was a one-point goalkeeper instead of a nine-point defender uh in the backs as well i did have michael keane who at least got seven points Mitchell, no more heroics from him this week, which was disappointing. And Alexander-Arnold's clean sheet was appreciated. I brought in Harrison on a hit as part of a, kind of it was just a roll the dice, hope for the best, see if something happens, kind of transfer. Nothing happened. Uh, Guys, three points. Salah, as I mentioned, three multiplied by two is six. I had San. Spurs were very disappointing. And I also had Kane, who was also very disappointing along with his Spurs teammates. And it's just really frustrating at this point. And we were just discussing it there Before we hit the record button, just how kind of it's getting a little silly at this part of the season where you don't know how to predict things. And Spurs, who had looked up for it in previous games, suddenly just really, really weren't at it, which was very annoying. Uh, Sam Maximan, I brought in a few weeks back or two weeks back. That's two games in a row that Joe Willock has outscored him, which is a bit frustrating. He has the third and final week to try and justify his place in my team. Bruno Fernandez, like everybody um, at he somehow got an assist. The, the first no-touch assist that we've ever seen in FPL. look forward to seeing that over the next few years. Uh, Kane, I mentioned Cavani I brought in, which was nice. I brought him in for Ings, so that was a nice uh, swing in my favour as well. With his, certainly not offside goal, nine points there. So yeah, that was it in total, 40 points net. Disappointing, but it's okay, we move on. Uh, I guess, having been talking about hoping to get into the top 10K for multiple weeks, now it's like, oh God, just, let's just not lose my top 50K rank.
1: Well, i did 52 months for so 48 the big story for me was actually that i was taken in hook line sinker by all of the twitter um rubbish surrounding the Man united lineup so you know i saw a couple of accounts and and seriously you know don't do this ever so a couple of accounts saying Greenwood wasn't going to play and it's going to be uh, you know, Pogba, Fernandes, and Rashford's um, behind Cavani. Um, so I thought, oh god, that no, Groom's not going to play. So I took a minus four, kind of two minutes before deadline to, to bring in Joe Willock, and uh, I benched Greenwood. And obviously, when I saw Greenwood was starting, I was like, oh no, I've, I've totally made an error. And I completely got away with it, frankly. Um, I think it's very hard to kind of uh, foresee uh, the one-one uh, with Fulham. And obviously Willock then went on and scored, which is absolutely ridiculous. And the only reason I've got him in was because I wanted to get on the, uh, on the get on the wagon um, after Adam Pritchard, who captained him this week. Uh, one of the people Adam uh, Anthony spoke about there captained into a seven six point haul this week as well, <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah, Willock would be eleven points, they probably one of the, the highlights of this week. Um, elsewhere, you know, uh, Dallas um, Lingard the assist, Mares with the assist. And Benteke, uh, the legend continues. Four goals and four for him. Um, but you know, I, I, I was going to Captain Mario, as I said in last week's pod, and then after a bit of thinking, I kind of you know, went with a few people in the community, like Late Riser, for example, who I respect. He was one of the players who was saying, "Well, you know, Kane, you know, looks looks very hungry." As Anthony also mentioned, he was worth going with. At home as well, the fans, potentially the last game, so maybe want to put on a performance and get a hat-trick. And I thought, yeah, that, that really seems like very good reasoning. And obviously it didn't work out at all. Very hard to anticipate. They weren't going to bother showing up. Um, but they didn't, frankly. And So 52 means... Um, a little bit of red arrow. I think it's about one percent red arrow. I mean, we probably come with no surprise to those listening that I did. I have kind of mentally checked out of my FPL team, not the podcast, but my FPL team um, for a little while. Um, and I think that kind of just just puts it to bed, really. Um, mate, I think I'll probably just do something off the wall um, in terms of the captain this week coming for the final week, um, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Anyway, um, in terms of uh, in contrast to me, um, those doing very very well, um, Anthony. Who's broken into the top 10? I heard there's a familiar name who's currently uh, broken that glass ceiling.
0: Yes, yes. There's a, a familiar name going to be there at number eight. But I guess starting off, it's Graham Sessons who didn't have a good week. He actually had a worse week even than me. He only got 37 points. So dropping from fourth to 10th. So unfortunately there, Graham. hopefully you can bounce back up that leaderboard. Uh, in the final game week of the season, he has 2,513 points, which is still obviously a savage score and puts him like right up there with the top three in the world at the moment. Uh, Harry Jones is in ninth with his team, Neville, whereas Prada, they ha- he has 2,514 points and scored 52 this week. Flying in from 15th to eighth is none other than guest of only just a few weeks ago, Lucy Hynett, with her Shea June team. She had 69 points this week, which was a solid result. And Lucy is indeed the GOAT, and she's flying her way up the ranks this season. And she's consistently up there, really, uh, at the business end of the season. So fair play to her in sixth is jamie timothy with his asalexia team he had 55 points david Izzat is up from 14th uh, to that joint sixth spot so he also has 2523 points he did that with 72 points which is obviously a great score in fifth up from sixth is nicola chanterevi whose name was in cyrillic so i couldn't say it last week but this week i had a look on google translate and that's what it told me to say so he has 2524 points uh, in fourth down from third is ryan hobbs 49 points 2526 up from fifth to second a joint second indeed is hazik zaheem he has 53 points this week so 2527 beside him is sean dunlop who had a tough week with 44 points but still obviously retains second place albeit now joint and up top for another consecutive week is tim franson with his team for sami he only got 47 points this week, which was enough for him to hold on to the top spot, and he's four points ahead of the lads in second with 2,531 points. Uh, it's Martinez, Dina with eight points there, Diaz, Sufal with two, Juan Basaka with two. He put the captaincy armband on San, so that was disappointing, two multiplied by yep. two. <laughs> but his in pain. fairness, that's just like almost everyone's captain in the yeah. top ten. Like Everyone captained someone who blanked this week, so that happens he kept faith with a hinacho and was rewarded with six he had vice that didn't go anywhere he kept lingard still has lingard and that has worked out for him seven points there he'd been pretty happy with that late goal for west ham that gave him a few points greenwood two and richarlison's nine points actually uh proving pretty vital for him actually 47 points uh, could have been an awful lot less if there weren't for a few unlikely heroes this week for him so fair play to tim you're seeing why he has managed to keep a high rank all this season and has one right now
1: yeah, I thought of him when the Charleston goal went in. So I noted him last week having uh, had him in his team of DCL. And he got Nacho actually off the bench, um, Anthony, uh, because uh, Raheem Sterling didn't play against Brighton. Um, so yeah, oh, well and good for Tim. Um, and it looks like it's going to be a fairly close sort of tussle uh, towards the top. But we'll see how it goes after everything kind of shakes out. And the market forces this week, it... Well, I mean, we've literally just kind of finished again, um, but there have been quite a few um, reactions to what's been going on already. So, uh, Patrick Bamford most bought in player and thirty-one thousand, and in fourth and fifth, uh, Dallas at uh, twenty thousand and Harrison twenty thousands. Um, but uh, Mo Salah um, being bought in by twenty-four thousand, and Chris TAA being bought in by twenty-two thousand. I mean, Trent got a a clean sheet tonight and Salah only got three I guess that Anthony is because of that Palace game and obviously what Salah did to them and off the bench um, uh, you know, earlier on in the season maybe that's what's fueling it people wanted to cover their in backs um, in the final game week
0: You know I'd love to think that it's that and that people have given it that much thought but just given that these are early transfers and Full-time when only just blown the Liverpool match. I think these are people who are actually bringing them in, hoping to get points for them playing against Burnley, to be perfectly honest with you, Tom. But anyway, they've got them in anyway, ahead of the Palace game in 38 as well. And um, that's not exactly bad transfers at all, you'd think anyway, that Liverpool obviously have an awful lot to play for in that final game with Champions League football very much in their own hands at this point. Just a result there, a victory there. And they will be in the Champions League after it looked very unlikely a few weeks back. Uh, So you can understand why people are just basically... Buying into one of the few teams that actually have something to play for left. So, this season, then if you look at the transfers out, it's a little bit more interesting, I guess, than the transfers in, which are a little bit spaced out so far. But in truth, an awful lot of them are kind of transfers that people had to make. So, an awful lot more Jota sales. He's uh, being sold by 37K teams as it stands. Only Cancelo has more sales than him. And like you can understand why Cancelo has an awful lot of sales considering he is now suspended for the rest of the season. The uh, likes of Calvert Lewin, Gundawan. And uh, a few kind of random eclectic mix of kind of Watkins and Kane and stuff being sold there. But there's nothing really to tell from the rest of the names that are being sold.
1: Um, I'm sure it's going to change in loads of ways um, after tonight's um, action is taken stock of uh, by the market. But yeah, um, certainly, I guess Jotter's going to continue to be sold. Um, definitely probably going to see um, you know, some movements around the strikers slot. I'm guessing there's going to be a lack of patience with Calvert-Lewin, that's for sure. Interested to see that Watkins was in that sell, sold kind of bracket. I'm sure that wouldn't happen um, for too long. Right. Let's move into the topic this week. And obviously we can't avoid it. It is game week 38. It is that beautifully mythical being, the time when all games are on at once at 3pm on Sunday, and you'll go through the drama together of what happens when final things get decided. However, this year, there's not much actually needs to be the size unfortunately most of the key things have actually been locked in which may up the lucky dip lottery factor of it all um, with the fact that you know maybe motivation as we've said in the past has been something which is going to drive a team's performance is kind of taken away and it's all as we've said a few times over the last couple of weeks about class rather than perhaps form and What we've done is we've had a look at kind of the past Game Week 38 in general and just try to give a flavour of what they look like compared to like a normal benchmark Game Week. So, I mean, from 2014-15 to 2020-21, which is the last seven seasons, on Game Week 38, there are on average 32.6 goals scored, 20 home goals and around 12.6 away goals give or take, or clean sheets 4.1. I uh, chatted to FPL Review or John to his ma about a benchmark's display, how this differs from the normal season. We spoke about this last year as well. And last year, we came up with an average of 15.5 home goals and 12.5 away goals uh, on an average game week. So about 28 goals per week, plus five clean sheets. That means that compared to normal game week 38, where you have 32.6 goals and you know your average sort of game week, there's a 16.4% uplift for goals on game week 38. So there are more goals on game week 38 historically than there are kind of in a normal game week. This is accompanied by a drop in kind of clean sheets. So normally you'd expect to see about five clean sheets per game week. That drops to 4.1 um, on game week 38. So a decrease of about 18%. But one anomaly, which is worth mentioning, is that home advantage was more than more or less halved during COVID. And last year, funnily enough, on the final game week, there were actually only 28 goals on that final game week, which is the actual average of all the goals that we've seen normally during the course of the season. So, um, last year's game week 38 was probably one of the lowest scoring end. Game weeks that we've ever seen. However, there are fans in the stadium for this game week 38, and it is hoped that we'll see a resurgence of that sort of home advantage. So, broadly, I'd hope, Anthony, that we're expecting to see a high score in game week 38 again.
0: Yeah, I, I think you can probably say that you'd expect that in that, you know, pretty much most of the last few seasons, or almost all of the last few seasons, we've seen more goals per game on average in game week 38 uh, versus the rest of the game weeks combined. And I guess worth reminiscing on some of the mad results that we've seen in gaming 38s in the last few years to kind of dwell on what is possible so even in 2020 when things were you know a little bit down uh, for usual we still had a Man City absolutely smashing the relegated Norwich team 5-0 with KDB notching up a brace which was uh, a pretty big result at the time for people who had him in their sides do you have any other um, 2020 ones Tom that you'd uh, like to throw in
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the ones actually that comes to mind is because of what was going on with uh, with, with young Jesse Lingard this year. Last year... Um he scored his first goal of the season actually on game week 38 in the 99th minute. I think he got basically the last goal of the Premier League se- the Premier League season last year uh, versus Leicester in a 2-0 victory, which featured a Bruno Penn, of course. Um other notable things last season, a heavily rotated Liverpool. Um so no Trent, no Salah, um rumours which caught wildfire throughout the fpl community Um, at the last minute big button just a minute all those sort of like deadline day things they beat newcastle 3-1 and spurs uh drew 1-1 away to palace um of kind of things that i remember from last year but yeah that kevin de Bruyne brace was the one that kind of uh i, I do remember just because i captained jesus who scored the first goal i thought yeah i'm well on my way to massive hall here and then kdb took over and uh i was like oh i should have just gone with the obvious
0: yeah, 2019 then was a little bit more fruitful when there was an average of 3.6 uh, goals per game uh, that particular weekend. And there was a City win, as we're kind of going to see an awful lot of with this game week 38 reminiscing. They beat Brighton 4-1. There was no kind of standout goal scorer there, but you know plenty of the, the big names that you'd want to have in your team returned to that day. Crystal Palace beat Bournemouth and scored 5 times with Nisi Bachwai <laughs> scoring twice and Bournemouth even scored three times so there was an awful lot of value to be found in that uh, in both of those teams on that day and West Ham beat Watford 4-1 with Mark Noble scoring twice so those were kind of three of the really high scoring fixtures that particular year
1: and uh, don't forget Anthony uh, Cardiff uh, seeing of Man United 2-0 at Old Trafford Nathaniel Mendes lang Make himself a blue legend with a penalty and also a random goal in the second half. So praise for for, for him. One of those who were like, Oh, you can never see that coming. And, um, 1718. Just move us on there. I think that was one of the kind of archetypal years where you just saw random stuff happening on the last game week. Be it the. Do you remember the Eozo Perez zone?
0: Yeah. Oh uh, no, i good. It's it's, it's it's coming into the pod later on. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah,
1: he's, <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, just to give you a taste of that, he saw the brace for Rafa Raffle Benitez's Newcastle when they beat Chelsea three 0 at St James's, and that year I think I mean I, I kind of feel like you know the the 5-3 Bournemouth Palace result is kind of forgotten but one which is remembered very keenly is the Spurs 5-4 with Leicester that year and that was Mahrez's final game at the club and Vares, um combined for one final time on kind of the Fox's side on the other side Harry Kane um, and Eric Lamella oddly enough, um, braced uh, for Spurs. And there were 31 goals that year um, in game week 38 versus the matchday average of
0: 26.8. And then in 2017, I think, is the, the best of them that we've seen uh, in recent years. And that was a year where there was an average of 3.7 goals per game. So that's pretty decent going. Uh, Man City, of course, uh, 5-0 against Watford. Aguero scoring twice. Uh, Spurs beat Hull 7-1. Kane with a hat-trick there. And also Chelsea beat Sunderland, who were were also relegated at that point, soon to test their fans that claim they were Sunderland till I die's claims to the limit, really, in the next few years. But anyway, yeah, Chelsea beat them 5-1, Batshuayi scoring twice there as well. So Michi Batshuayi twice um, featuring in this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure we're going to be kind of sat there kind of saying, oh, bye, Michi Batshuayi. But there's certainly been all manner of results on the final day. And I think perhaps that kind of shows... The fact that you do get these results, which come out of nowhere, you can't really pinpoint exactly the game where it's all going to go off and you can't always pinpoint the players. So, you know, 16-17, uh, Man that were at home to Crystal Palace and Josh Harrop scored in his debut for United as they beat them 2-0. One of those players who wasn't even in the game at the time and you had like goals scored by assisted by someone who was in the game. And a really nice segue here onto kind of FPL-specific stuff is obviously Praz FPL's question, which was a question for the main sort of Q&A section, but really works in well here. And He asks, you know, this is going to be popular, so I'll ask your top five players to target who are low-owned but capable of that 15-pointer for that last-minute boost in mini leagues and rank. And, you know, the games that we've mentioned and the outcomes we've mentioned, the fact that the final game week is a high scorer... Um means that if you do kind of get your lottery ticket right, you could do very, very well indeed. Um, so what we've done is, yeah, there's lots of randomness on the final, the final day. There's high variance in single game week. Uh, but we've picked up a few players who maybe could get you there, depending on what you're looking at in the market. Um, should we go one player each? And kind of, uh, I'm sure there's going to be one. Oh, no, you've got my notes here. Um I don't know. Um, do, you, do you want to do it by position, or just want to just do
0: just do it for Lowe's? Ah, let's go by position, sure. Okay, uh, all right. Let's start Defend with defenders. Ones. I hope you don't have this one. I have selected out of all players, and I just because I think he has a surety of starts that you wouldn't normally expect. Eric Garcia of Manchester City. He up came... okay. Oh. You
1: yeah, know. Okay. This is this is game week thirty eight. It's such a such a such a but mind he... screw because you've got to think about these players as being viable options.
0: But Eric Garcia. <laughs> oh, okay. Man. Bear with me though. Um, City actually find themselves in a little bit of a shortage when it comes to right backs. So uh, Kyle Walker is a doubt, and they're surely probably saving him for the Champions League final. And obviously, Shao Cancelo, after his red card, is suspended for game week thirty eight. And so, who better to select to replace him in the side than Eric Garcia, the man that. Pep put on when Cancelo actually got sent off so that's kind of basically as City's you know, third choice right back who almost never gets a chance to play but has now played in the last two games when City needed a right back I suspect he's also going to be the right back of choice because he's just not going to be in that Champions League final team I'd have loved to have said Benjamin Mendy here But City have options at left back, and he obviously could fit Pras' criteria a little bit better, of potentially have a 15-pointer in him, uh, just based on his kind of attacking verve and history. But I couldn't select him because I just couldn't be sure that he wouldn't just get zero points. I'm just
1: not sure with, with them like, that you can make that switch confidently. That's the thing. It's, it's the X minutes thing, as you've acknowledged, and that's fair enough. Uh, defender-wise, I've only got one, uh, which is uh, Craig Dawson. I will forever recommend this guy. I've got a shoe file because you told me to buy him and it didn't go very well, Anthony, but I blame you completely for that. Um, but yeah, like, you know... it okay. Dawson is just amazing value, really, 4.5. Throughout the course of the season, yes. Um, But if you're like, hmm, who do I get in who's likely to do a goal? Um, Craig Dawson's had the most big chances um, and he's 4th XG per start for defenders over the course of the season. Um, Their final game is Southampton at home. um, And he could be a candidate to grab that sort of vaunted 15-pointer. That's because if you watch them all kind of lining up from a Crespo delivery. Crespo is obviously another decent option here. It's always Dawson and Suchek either kind of following each other into the box or doing a split into the box. And I think that, you know, you just need the ball to go your way. You need them to keep clean sheet. But that 15 points is probably on if you do get lucky with Dawson. You could obviously go with um, Crespo as well. It's just that Dawson's likely to be scoring the goal. Crestwell's likely to be assisting the goal. But yeah, I, I think he'd be the one i go for. Um Midfield wise, um, I think I'm gonna just jump in with Aubameyang. Um, so there's huge variance on the final game week. There's bugger all, which I can tell you in the stats to commend him to you. But gut feel on him is that it's a day where he will go crazy. One thing on Aubameyang that I found during my kind of reviews of the last few years is that he's actually scored on three out of three of the last. Free, game week 38 he's been involved with while he's been in England and he's actually scored consecutive brace on the final days as well a brace versus Burnley in 1819 a brace versus Watford last year obviously he was chasing the golden boot back then but if anyone likes you know form for scoring goals on day x then that's something to potentially bear in mind I kind of vaguely fancy actually at home against Brighton <laughs> I'm not gonna lie and um, so he would be one that I would kind of bring to people's attention Um well, there may be a couple of other options in the Arsenal team who I mentioned in a minute.
0: Yeah, and actually, I'm going to steal the, steal that one from you and say Nicola Pepe was one of mine that I had thrown uh, in wasn't here.
1: Mine actually, funnily enough. No, well, you can oh,
0: have him. Very good. Well, seven point six. He's obviously scored in two of his last three games and with a brace against Palace. Just generally, his Premier League form hasn't been particularly good, and he's never actually managed to make himself an FPL even slightly interesting from an FPL perspective. But he's been quite consistent um, for Arsenal in the Europa League especially uh, a bit like Mikatarian used to be for Man United when things weren't necessarily going too well for him in the Premier League so Nicola Pape is my nomination here again it's a bit like you said with Aubameyang I can't really point to stats to commend him to you I just kind of feel like he is the quintessential modern uh, post Wenger or you know post post hybrid Arsenal player who when the pressure is off tends to perform <laughs> and there he is
1: Fair enough. And I actually had an even bigger punt in the Arsenal lineup. up Martinelli, Martnelli, Yeah, 4.9, bit loaned. And he scored tonight. I was annoyed. I said that on the Slack, wasn't like, Oh, God, I wish he'd stayed quiet. Um, but he's home versus Brighton and didn't start tonight. So hopefully there's a chance he will start against Brighton. What a but, guy. What a guy. He's standing out because he's out of position, isn't he, uh, for a top-end club with analog metrics like shots, shots in the box. Midfielders doing very well, as well as having the superior XG per 90 over the last six games and the likes of Bruno and Son. He's also second for XA over the last six, level with Mane, and he's created the second most big chance as well for Arsenal. Um, so, again, another kind of small percentage owner, uh, player that you could be looking at wow, we've turned to massive Arsenal fans, haven't we? I don't know yeah, how it's, that's it,
0: happened. It's, um, it's great great sighting XG for 90 with Mark in the last six. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. <laughs> to, it, it to, he's, he's managed to make it past the 60-minute mark twice. In that it, period. Is, it
1: is ridiculous, isn't it? Because you are just kind of effectively trying to build a case and maybe this like, case study in framing We're trying to build a case for players who don't really play very much or for whatever reason are now punts. Like if you don't own them, they they are going to be that way. Um, And it's just trying to find something to commend them to you. Like with Aubameyang, for sure, I can kind of just, it's, it's clearly just historic stuff. With Martinelli, it's kind of looking at the data on a particular filter. But it's up to you to make the reference, and not you, Anthony, but up to you, listener, to to understand, to think about whether that is actually relevant to you or something you're actually vaguely interested in. I think the the actual big um, one that I would be looking at, um, and actually, it's reflective of my forward pick as well, um, is Sadio Mane. Um, so he's no, so you know, no jota, no worries. Like Mane's obviously no salary if I'm this year, um, but eleven point seven and six point eight percent. Could, be the, could he be the differential of the Rockies at the end? He's got form for final day heroics as well. He scored a brace versus Wolves a couple of years ago. He's fourth for XG um, amongst mids over the last six. Level Greenwood, actually, um, who everyone's been lording. That's per 90 as well, Anthony. You'll be pleased to hear. He's also fifth in the, for shots in the box per 90 and actually is second uh, for XA um, over the last six game weeks. So he's actually been creating chances as well. Had a terrible year, has Mane. But could he finish it with a flourish, Anthony?
0: He might, he might. But I, I actually didn't select any Liverpool players in this for whatever reason. I just decided to just ignore them completely. And instead, I actually have looked at a guy who we talked about last week, and I'll we'll skip through him quickly because there's a chance that he might not actually play. It's Kai Havertz that I had in here, 8.3. He hasn't played a huge amount recently because he's dealing with all sorts of injuries. But he will need to get game time ahead of the Champions League final, which you would expect him to start if he is at all ready to play. And so with that in mind, I'm kind of commending him here on the premise that you should probably pay attention to any sorts of press conferences that are given ahead of these games, uh, because that Villa game, I fancy him anyway to do something. And if he manages to actually make it onto the pitch, uh, Ferran Torres, I'll throw in again after the hat trick versus Newcastle, uh, which also followed, which had followed itself a goal against Chelsea. He had a bright a, ba- a blank against Brighton, but he feels like an unlikely Champions League starter. And with that in mind, he feels like the type of player who could play. Add to that the fact that he's kind of occupying that false nine forward slash striker role and has been doing it alongside Jesus or with Jesus on the pitch at times. And it seems like, unfortunately, and the man that we would have been talking about in the next uh, when we get on to the forwards, but we can't because it looks like he's going to be injured. Sergio Aguero won't be there to take what would have been Torres's place in the side. And so, with that in mind, at 7.0, he feels worth that punt.
1: Yeah. We've got a question about Sergio Aguero. So I'm going to leave that until those questions. Um, But I have one forward and it is Bobby Firmino and I am very, very tempted to make the move for Dominic Calvary to Firmino for that final game of the season. He's back in the top 10s for shots next year over the last six months forwards, 4.3% owned. Um, So if Liverpool do go mental against Crystal Palace, could he be involved? Probably not, because he's annoying as hell to own if you own him during the regular season. But hey, on a one-week, high-variance basis, he could be a player who's worth considering. I think, actually, if I was to sit here and make a couple of recommendations, um, just for, you know, some giggles, on one week where it could all go wrong and it's all a bit of lucky it's all a bit of lottery. I think my Aubameyang one and my Firmino one would be the ones that I'd be most likely to think about. If I was making a free hit, they definitely both be in and probably they both be jostling for the armband for me that's for sure um Anthony what about you for the final pick
0: yeah I actually I have two former forwards that I'm going to commend and I don't have any forward to commend whatsoever for this segment and those former forwards one of them is Marcus Rashford who I feel just needs minutes Uh, he's obviously had uh, a little bit of injury trouble in the last few weeks and he needs minutes ahead of the Europa League final which you would expect him to start so if at all possible I suspect that Ole will start him away to Wolves. So with that in mind, look, it's, it's as you say, Tom, high variance week. So you'd fancy him to get something, even if it's a very kind of much changed United side with the likes of Juan Mata feeding him rather than Bruno. And also because it is you know, game week 30 something and because he's done nothing so far and because it is the Iosi Perez zone, I have to recommend Iosi Perez. Where did this come from? This has been something over multiple seasons where Iozzi Perez always hit for him (laughs) in the final weeks of the season. I can buy it. it. And yet it hasn't happened this year, even though he's actually been playing. And so I just feel like surely, surely the Iozzi Perez zone will finally become clear, you know, as he opens a time portal, changes everything, somehow finds a way to either toss Chelsea aside or toss Liverpool aside from a great distance by (laughs) scoring himself for Leicester against Spurs. It, It just feels so right. And yet... So so unlikely.
1: I can just imagine it happening. I, I can. I I think just just obviously, imagine.
0: Obviously, he made that that
1: huge sort of embarrassing uh, miss uh, that would have basically the late I mean, miss. People yes. Like yeah, well, if he's cost them the Champions League. That miss. No, no. The reality was that obviously there's been loads of other reasons why they think they, they they may not get to Champions League. It's not. It doesn't just come down to that one moment. Um, but the poor guy hopefully is going to be uh maybe motivated by that.
0: It's going to be a great team talk, in Brendan Rodgers, for him. Uh, certainly, he's got like he's he was into the office and he got one hell of a pep talk, you know, about everything he could do. If you move these boxes, it'll make a huge difference for the whole side. Is what Brendan must have kind of said to him. Uh, to like him up that Spurs game. So I know. Look, I believe in him anyway to do something. I'm not going to buy him in a million years, but I would laugh a lot if he actually does score against Spurs.
1: Cool. So quite a few recommendations there. The other thing to kind of think about is what I mentioned earlier about um, TAA and Salah last year, and obviously this is comes in the light of me absolutely losing my uh, feces uh, this game week, um, and end up with getting very, very fortunate um, to not be punished for benching Greenwood and buying in Willock. Reminds me all the time of writing. I mean, it, it's more of a warning, really, because. Game Week 38, if you're new to the scene, is a notorious time for pranksters and chain yankers. Cockney rhyming slam completely intended to kind of get on and try to mess with your head and say, this guy's not playing, I've heard that this, I've heard that that. I think just mute anybody, even temporarily, that'll let up since rubbish and try to take case or, or our approach. But that said, as we saw with TAA and teller last year, Anthony, sometimes there are leaks which are impossible to ignore. As I thought the Greenwood one actually this week was, but definitely last year with Salah and TAA, that was being so widely reported, I just thought, right, I've got, got to do something about this. Um, so I, I know it's a bit of a vexed concept. We're not going to spend too long on it because obviously it's a bit too it's a bit chatty rather than um, actually quantifiable. But Anthony, like what do you think you need to know to be kind of believing of a leak?
0: I think with all of these leaks that we get on Twitter in general, the first thing. I try to do is to vet how good that person's leaks have been in the past and that's obviously quite hard to do if it's someone who's leaking for the first time or says they have information for the first time with them I think I just take it as a pinch of salt unless I see something else but when it comes to if there's somebody like FPL Rockstar or something gives us some sort of indication
1: you
0: know in just about before the deadline I would take that very seriously because he has shown multiple times that he has pretty good uh, insider info so I would just say be very very careful. More than anything, I would also say to pay a bit of attention to what journalists are saying in just regular replies to people on Twitter. And if you have a subscription to the Athletic, more and more we're seeing journalists actually answer questions from fans about who they think are going to play. And sometimes they have a little bit of an insight, an insight when there's something odd going on, especially. So for example, a few game weeks ago when Scott Carson was playing there were an awful lot of indications came through about that from sources you wouldn't expect it to come through from because it was so noteworthy. Uh, likewise, as well, actually, when Ollie played the kids uh, against Leicester for United, that info came through like loud and clear from all sorts of sources because it was just so unusual. And so those types of things, especially, I think you need to take serious. When it's something that's almost scarcely believable, It oddly it oddly seems to be more believable than when it's just about believable. Then I feel like you have to be really doing your due diligence much more.
1: Yeah, so if, if you move everything which is impossible, then whatever remains however improbable is true, Sherlock Holmes. Um, but yeah, maybe you're right. I think it's just that when everybody is, um, you know, when there's this maelstrom of individuals trying to trap you um, in, the, in, in the trolling uh, trap, I think that that becomes a bit more difficult. But I think you're right, Anthony. I think it's just about um, trying to make sure that you kind of look at the, provenance of what's been said like if it is a random account who's writing random stuff look at their account what they said um how much have they said things um what the comments beneath what they've said and ask other people that you know is this person worth trusting most of the time actually the answer is no and as Anthony said a lot of the time it is about the journalists so like you know like Sam Lee who cover Man City a Jonathan Schrager who covers Manchester United and ex-WHU employee of West Ham individuals that throughout the course of the season um, provide decent insight into what's going on. Those are people to be continuing uh, to keep an eye on as things kind of go. I guess I'm thinking of the final thing. How do we expect the final game to go? I don't want a a blow-by-blow um, this game's going to be a 4 1, this is what's going to happen. I think just kind of a general sort of overview. Um, so, for me, I probably expect a bit of a reversion to the norm. Like uh, FPL review, we spoke about it a little bit actually, and your man said to me that he expected home advantage to go back to normal for matches with fans. He also said that one of the biggest home advantage things if there are fans there, is influence over referees. So a lot of the conventional wisdom is kind of true about that kind of home advantage. It's just a matter of analysts beginning to quantify that reality. And so, yeah, after last year's fellow output, I'm hoping for a decent afternoon's viewing, that's for sure. And either way, I think, that's a bit of a sappy point, but all matches at once will be simply epic, like all of those kind of scores coming in. Like there's going to be no, oh, no, I've got to wait until 4pm until the next game. It's all going to happen at once, like one big hit. And I, I really miss that about FPL. So it'd be really, really nice to have that. Um, I do expect kind of in summary, there's to be more goals this time round um, than last year, that's for sure, It was a bit of a boring final game, apart from the Manchester game. Um, and I'm expecting there to be a couple of surprises along the way. And I'm just going to be basically hoping I get lucky to get right. Yeah,
0: hilariously, I think what's really stood out for me about this game week also is the fact that all the kickoffs are at the same time. I've just not really liked the drawn-out game weeks whatsoever that we've been entirely subjected to really through covid So that in particular actually is going to be very refreshing. I think I actually did decide to make a not exactly very earnest attempt at predicting all of the scores for this game week. And what I do see is that subconsciously I have expected high scoring games and I also seem to be expecting home advantage to count uh, hugely for the sides that are involved. Uh, I guess the uh, the most interesting of my random, not earnestly put together scores are Manchester City 5, Everton 2, Leeds 7, West Brom 1 and uh, Fulham 2 Newcastle 3 there you go Tom you heard it here first
1: <laughs> Will it brace Will it hat trick is that, is that how it's going to go
0: no I think Sam Maxman is uh, finally going to do something from my side no it'll probably be something really frustrating like uh, Jacob Murphy or something coming on as a sub and getting a hat trick
1: Will can go all the way all right Adam all right let's take a break there and move on to correspondence and Q&A for the last time this season pretty much uh, after this who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's uh, time to get into the listener kind of stuff. And it's the final correspondence of this season. I've done my best. I've been hanging over it with a scythe. I've been trying to lop things off with a tiny pen knife. But the reality is the correspondence has it's kind of shambled towards the end of the season. I think it's going to make another year. Um, but it is the final one of this year, and um, this campaign. And it is uh, a good friend of the pod who's been uh, in touch, hasn't it, Anthony?
0: Is yeah. The correspondence section has been and will continue to be your chance to give your addendums, get your questions in, to, to deliver your theories, to give us some poems, to give us your thoughts, whatever it might be. And we've really enjoyed having them all this year to who got the assist at gmail.com. We have correspondence in most pods so far throughout the season. We uh, had to give it a bit of a rest when we had such tight turnovers a few times, but we got loads of emails in over the year and we've really enjoyed having them and fpl sis wrote in uh, with another bit of correspondence this week and he has of course been part of the correspondence section before so thanks very much for him for emailing before and indeed emailing again and what sis said was this morning lads great 200 club pod this is obviously from a few weeks back i heard the plea for material and as the shelf life would be limited i thought that a topic with some staying power may be of use how right you were sis how right you were Listening to the declaration of Messi Lingard's downturn of form put me in a spin. He's a talisman! He's on penalties! He's got great fixtures! Sprang from my mouth before I could think it through. Maybe Antonio's return has pushed Lingard back. Maybe other clubs have learned to stifle his creativity, and maybe he will revert to his United norm. I flick open my FPL file of reflections to see if I can glean any insight on form and bandwagons. I realise I haven't delved into it for quite some time, and with the last mention being, the wagon. The period since has been a steady trickle of green arrows. My efforts to convert form to consistency has paid off. So I wonder, lads, can we as FPL managers have form? Much love, FPL says. Tom, can you as an FPL manager and can other FPL managers have form?
1: I think so. I think you can definitely get form. Let's define terms though for those who are allergic to things like this. I think the use of that word to me means confidence in your decision making. And if you've had a few weeks, and I'm sure we've all been there as FPL managers, you get a few weeks where your transfers, your captaincies have come off, you know, and as a result of that, you're less likely to be second-guessing yourself. You know, you're going to make those transfers, you're going to kind of make that captaincy decision without much worry, without much kind of you know, fraught kind of thought process about what you're going to do whereas if if you've had a few weeks in doldrums i think you do often second guess and ask around for help a bit and you bridle against people who say go with your gut like, because you'll be like, well, I've got no idea what that is. You know, I've got some of the options kind of going on in my head. And you lose that ability to be able to pinpoint exactly what you think is the best option. And I think that's a bit of a product, perhaps, of kind of being part of the kind of the social ecosystem of FPL a little bit. And um, that you're kind of, uh, you, you kind of lose it because there's so many good managers who say one thing. And you're kind of like, well, actually, I don't really agree or I'm not really too sure. And, and it's definitely interesting to try to kind of nail exactly where you sit. But I definitely see kind of the advice of better managers than me, uh, such as Matthew Jones and Will Thomas, uh, Will, uh, fans of Will Hub, but that, that's when it really comes into play because they'll always advocate just continue doing your own thing not panicking and you'll kind of even out in the end, kind of there's a bit of a gambler's fallacy thing going on, a bit of a golden mean thing going on. Um, but equally, no, um, you know, they've, you know, Wilson had an awful season last year doing the same thing, just kind of it didn't quite work out for him. You, you Sometimes you do get unlucky. Sometimes you do get obscenely lucky, like me, Mitchell last week. Um, but if you're able to ride with those punches, not get too off-piste then, and stick to like a try and tested method, then you tend to do okay. And that's what Matthew Jones has done this year. Like, started at, you know, 2.4 million or something, and he's kind of worked his way up to being a decent position. Basically, as a football analog. It reminds me a lot of what Alan Shearer always says to a striker who's going for a dry spell. If anybody in the UK has been watching a match of the day of the last kind of you know, 10 years, he'll always go through the same sort of uh, you know, notable narrative. And he'll say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to do a jolly accent. Sorry, that's um, and ladies and other people. And he says, you know, keep doing what you're doing and the ball comes to you and you'll, you'll, you'll get your chance to eventually score. And i Werner, of of course. Um, But I think the reality is that you can be informed. You can kind of get to those sort of levels where you're happy and confident in your decision-making.
0: That was pretty interesting, Tom. I think what I think sticks out from your kind of discussion there is almost like the manager you describe, and I mean this in the kindest way possible, they stick to their strategy, which is effectively boring is good. You know, captain obvious, keep the transfers sensible, don't allow yourself to panic when things are going badly, and eventually it'll come good for you and sometimes it doesn't uh, when a season just doesn't go your way that can just be the nature of these things you are trying to predict the future every week and you know that's inherently difficult but at the same time it will usually work out there is a bit to this though about when you actually do hit a rich vein of form and i think i my own team i hit a rich vein of form in kind of february march and into april this year and i think then something happens where you maybe buy into your own hype just a little bit. And I've definitely seen this happen to me in previous years where I find, okay, I've been sensible. I've taken the odd little bit of a differential and it's gone right for me. And now it's time to super judge my rank and chase points. And then suddenly things can fall apart quite quickly and you just start to stagnate, or in my case, just start to slip just a little bit. And so there is a hard line to run between, you know, making the most of having a hot hand but also at the same time not uh, maybe believing it's that hot and trying to do, you know, backflip shots or something and finding that it isn't working out for you. Uh, But at the same time as well, there's a skill in being able to revert to boringness and not panic, but there's also a skill to not uh, leave boringness when you think that boringness is, you know... Just on, you know, it's doing well for you. It's it's investing and in getting, you know, a six percent return, and then being like, oh no, i I can do something mad and get a forty percent return if I do this, and then suddenly you've lost it all. Um, and that's I think what can quite easily happen to you too. And so I definitely, to answer this question, think that FPL managers can have form, and indeed FPL managers can have you know class as well. You know, there's you know class is permanent. You know, form can come and go, and I feel there are some people whose form doesn't necessarily sometimes match kind of the good analytical careful sensible decision making that they can have but i think a bit like what we would say the you know, class is permanent and it will shine through we see that year after year after year and that's why you do see some fpl managers managing to get pretty consistent let's say top 10 and 5k ranks absolutely and
1: and that's why you do find people who do take that sort of cautious route and uh, being able to kind of Calmly reverse park into where I need to be every single time. Whereas you get others who do take a more aggressive route, like a, for example, friend the friend of the pod late riser uh, Pernil, um, It sometimes doesn't quite work out, and that does happen for some years. Like sometimes you do get on unlucky earlier on, and it's just a case of trying to decide whether the cadence of the season has kind of dictated that you're not done very well, or whether it's something wrong with your manager or ability. For these guys, probably not. For me four years on yeah it's something wrong with my managing uh being in the unquote public eye yeah really interesting question there. Uh, thanks sis
0: yeah thanks so much sis so that correspondence was sent on to who got the assist at gmail.com now we're at the point of the season where we won't be able to get any more correspondence in because there won't be any more game weeks to look ahead to so if you are feeling like sending in some correspondence it's got to be some pretty evergreen content that we'll be able to maybe toss into some of our preseason things we'll do a little bit in pre-season or otherwise it's going to be something that you're looking at for game week one so maybe just hang on with the correspondence until sometime in the summer and uh, maybe write it while you're just having a barbecue uh, sitting out in the garden and taking in the rays I mean, quiet day yeah, and that's that's when that moment should come. And you're like, oh, that Irish kid who was pestering us to send emails to who got the assist at gmail.com. Now is my time to send that email. Uh, you know, push the dog away. Just forget about the barbecue. Let everything burn and write that email.
1: Cool. All right, let's move on to listener questions proper. Um, Adam Pritchard, who's not here to answer own question this week for once, uh, amazingly enough, um, asked this morning uh, before everything happened, choose your own adventure question. He said, You've either got to answer, A, how grateful are you for the presence of Joseph Willock in your side, or B, will you, uh, forgive me. Um, and <laughs> obviously, it's um, gone very, very well that he's scored is it six goals in six games. Like, the, the air to Lingard, be Joe Willock. But in general, Anthony, this hasn't really been the year uh, to be jumping on pontiferous differentials, has it?
0: No, it hasn't, and I think this is something we've talked about this year. I think more than usual, uh, when we're talking about just don't bet against the house, and that has proven true again and again and again. And so, it hasn't necessarily been about a few players going through hot streaks. Instead, it's been about getting onto a you know a very true, long-lasting bandwagon early. So, you would think of Lingard in that. You think of, I can't believe we're saying you would actually put Willock into that category at this point, just about. You think of Gundawan when you say that as well. These were options that I uh, have. Watkins is another actually who, when he finally started to come good and wasn't having everything barred and you know things going unlucky for him, it came good. Uh, a bandwagon that pretty much started off the season and never stopped going was Bamford. There were all these options there that you could have got on and enjoyed and stayed on rather than jumping around punting I think it usually was a fool's errand and so I found that with quite a few of the punts that I took this year I actually could not find a single punt outside of let's say my free hit team where I could say that punt that I brought in for those two weeks worked there was none Martinelli failed Trossard was a fail Olaina was a fail Pascal Gross was a fail Chris Wood was a fail Alan Maximan for the last two weeks has been a fail Harrison has been in for one week was a fail and Ings who came in for one week was a fail I've also had captaincy fails when I went a little bit deviating from the mean with Dominic Calvert-Lewin once yep. or twice I, I and Antonio terrible. very much was like uh, just strapped ourselves to uh, concrete blocks and jumped in together it was terrible uh, on yeah. both occasions yeah. and it just yeah. hasn't been a, hasn't been a season for the pontif- pontiferous differentials as you put it Tom no
1: definitely not. No, imagine uh, jumping on you know now Snow, Dominic on. Um It's just not really been that kind of year, has it? Um, and maybe that could be something that we could feed in next year. Obviously, it's a very difficult kind of mid-season to recognise for those seasons where everything goes the way of the house. Um, but maybe if you are able to kind of get a sense of the material of what a season is going to be, um, you're able to maybe kind of adapt your play style accordingly. I think maybe this year it did kind of, get to a point probably fairly early actually i think maybe the john stones brace like it got to a point where you're kind of like wow like there's no way you're i'm ever going to be able to get kind of beyond a certain point um in the rankings um and you know for every decent herb captaincy i got this year um, as well I've lost on things like you know captain Vardy when Bruno was playing home v West Brom you know taking risks like that and um, and it has been a very difficult season and in terms of just trying to kind of do something even vague differential that like every single time you've been punished and um, as far as I'm concerned at least I'm sure you can find a path that you can plot where you actually you could have done okay Um, but it's, it's very kind of few and far between to have been able to do that. Um and again, perhaps it underlines the importance of a good start, Anthony.
0: Yes, I think that has been the case. That uh, a lot of the name the players that I would have named there, you know, the likes of Bamford, the likes of, I guess not necessarily Watkins, but some of the other players that you might have had in your game week one side who unexpectedly proved to be season keepers all the way through, those are kind of the guys that really brought people up the ranks and meant that You know Those who got up the ranks and then didn't go against the house really, really benefited from that. Uh, Dallas is definitely another one, not to focus too much on uh, Leeds players. You could throw Son into this too. It has very much been uh, not so much Pontiferous and more Pontius Pilot. God. (laughs) It's just like it came to me. I was like, I throw it in and just kill Tom. that's, That's a
1: killer, isn't it? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think there's so many issues with continuing that metaphor. But I'm gonna move on to the next question, uh, which is uh, hope in vain. So, Tom, oh, you, um,
0: you've nailed that segue.
1: So, Tom, uh, TCW on Arsenal says he's 300k and uh, I think it's the only chance of him getting to top 100k. Asking for a friend, he says, who uh, wants the season to end. i mean, I'm 200k, um, and it, I'm afraid, Tom, it's all over. Um, I think your only hope is to captain a single-digit own player and hope that they explode, which is almost definitely what I'm going to be doing next game week.
0: Well, he's um, an Arsenal fan. That's our Bamiyang, is, not it?
1: Yeah, I think maybe. Maybe um, uh, that's something that I've obviously propagated so far on this podcast. I mean, I think, mate, Anthony, rather than kind of asking you, you know, what should he do? I think maybe a more interesting question would be,
0: when, what does, do? your, when does your
1: <laughs> season become unsalvageable, do you
0: think? unsalvageable i think it becomes unsalvageable when your goal is more than the number of weeks left if you divide that into the points that you are away from your optimal rank if that is if the answer there is more than 20 so if you need to gain more than 20 points per game week to get to the rank that you seek i feel like at that point things are out of reach that was certainly something that i felt once i with two game weeks to go had about 40 points off the top 10k i was like that's it it's not happening and um, so it has certainly proven proven so that's how i would answer that particular question tom
1: i think there's always a couple of occasions per season where you're kind of like oh yeah oh i could have done that and it didn't really happen be it captaincy, be it you know one of those things that um you know the top 10k were doing and and it's um it's always a bit annoying. I, I think that kind of past game week 30, things start to become very kind of solidified. Like it starts to be kind of, you can't really kind of move yourself too far on beyond making ridiculous captain punts. Although, you know, I, this year what I've done is I've tried to kind of make those captain punts. So go for stupid captains, not stupid captains, but the non-obvious captains every single week for a while. Um and make kind of, um, you know, um, pontiferous moves. Whereas last year, what I did was I made really obvious captains and I kind of drew back from making pun- punty moves and it didn't, neither have really worked out. Um, whereas if I had done kind of straightforward captains this year, it would have been great. Maybe it's about some sort of like, you know, integrative sort of idea where next year I do the obvious captain. Um, but I take punts with the moves in because you know things like buying in Willick have done very very well uh, buying things like people things like buying in Benteke have done very well and obviously you know I've been lucky with the likes of you know uh, uh, Mitchell doing okay and the TAA showing up a, the couple of times I've captained him the only one know?
0: of those that was like a real 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 differential pick was the Willock one though. So Benteke made sense in the context of a double game week. And then you weren't going to look a gift horse in the mouth and sell him. Mitchell made sense because he was just a budget enabler that happened to work out. And of course, it's great when that thing works out for you. But at the same time, I think you're being harsh on yourself to call that, you know, too punty as well. Like that was team structure and fixture dependent transfers mm-hmm. that just happened to go your way, that you had at least some reason to expect they go your way. Now, yes, Christian Benteke suddenly finding the form that he hasn't had in you know, half, <laughs> a, de- goals half in a decade. Four goals decade. four out of nowhere is a bit... It's <laughs> yeah. surprising. Like the, you know, there was a time when four goals and four games from Christian Benteke wouldn't have been surprising, but that was years ago at this point. And so for you to find that was obviously surprising. But at the same time, Palace did have good fixtures and you took the risk. Where others went for Ebreziesi or indeed uh, Wilfred Zaha, you went for Benteke because that just fitted your team structure. And it worked out. Yeah. Uh, so it's maybe became
1: a bit jammy. Um, But the reality, I suppose, of gaming 38, is that sometimes you do have these sort of romantic sort of picks as well. There. I've seen those people obviously kind of getting kind in for a last dance. And there have been a lot of, kind of questions for Pep, um, would you would you play him in game in the Champions League final? And Betts been saying no, it's a cold selection sort of thing. Um, but could the final game for Man City at home to Everton be a different sort of case? Um, so FL Duck asks if Cunegarro in game week first is a must, Anthony. And maybe this is probably worth talking about, kind of romantic picks because uh, I that's probably fairly proximal here, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So I guess to answer Duck's question first of all, just if you look around right now there's serious doubts about Aguero's fitness. And so much as you'd love to see him play in that game and, let's say, start and be given a chance and you know have a good shot at scoring a goal or two, that feels like it's remote, that chance at this point. Like, we'll see. I, I'd love to find that uh, Guardiola gives him a clean bill of health in his uh, press conference ahead of that game, but it just doesn't seem likely based on the media reports as it stands when we're recording. That said, yeah, emotional type of transfers to bring in for Game Week 38 are good. I um, actually brought in John Terry and nearly captained him for the wonderful 26 minute uh goodbye that he had with Chelsea uh, a few years ago. I, I thank goodness I didn't captain him at the time. But of course that was the shenanigans that he went on with. And that sort of um emotional transfer, I'm not sure if it's even something that yeah. necessarily will pay off for you. Like I don't do I think that Crystal Palace will be more motivated because Roy Hodgson is leaving them. No, but you know, Chris Lepas's form hasn't been bad, and some sort of rehash of Chris Stamble would be pretty hilarious uh, to throw Liverpool suddenly out of the Champions League again. I, I find it very hard to get excited by those emotional transfers. I would have given and I would like to give Aguero a testimonial in my own FPL team, but that would have been as much based on the fact that I would have thought he'd do well if given a chance and had, you know, let's say with 60 minutes to play, but that just doesn't look like it's likely.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm saying, i I think if 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 there was some sort of you know a statistical angle to bringing Aguero, I'd probably be doing that. Uh, okay, obviously I said earlier on that is worth bringing in. The problem is is that it sounds like he's got a bit of a problem at the moment as well, which is why he's not in the squad. And you can imagine Pep just not quite doing it. This is last week, I think that him and Bielsa are the two managers who are not going to be kind of bowing to John Terry's sort of. Uh, Sentiment to bring a player in like that. I just remember David Silver last year. I mean, last year, i we mentioned earlier on, I um, meant to beat Norwich 5 0. David Silver had zero returns. They tried everything to get that guy to score, like literally everything. It was all free kicks. Like, he was like, they were trying to play him through, like, throughout the course of the game. It just didn't happen. And, um, a couple of other things I remember: Eden Hazard in 1819 nineteen as a substitute for Chelsea, maybe a little bit of a a pet thing. I'm not sure that I'm not sure he could quite do that with Agüero. I'm sure he's going to play the game against Everton or at least kind of play some kind of time in the game.
0: Do you think like an injured Agüero could be given just a one minute like walk on? Yeah, I'm end?
1: sure. I'm sure he's going to be given something, isn't he? Because at home, if he's fit, kind of if like, he's yeah. if he's even able, yeah he's lifting the title. he's lifting the trophy isn't he um as well in in that game um according to the news um what so- about
0: what about Phil Jagielka <laughs> the man with the biggest yeah. fpl history that we have left isn't
1: it he is um but no one matter i can't imagine there's that many romantic picks out there are there. There's not many people leaving this year, which is quite big. I mean, there's no, there's no Solomon Rondon uh, who got a nice, 90th minute goal in his final game for Newcastle in 1819. There's none of those players who are going to be kind of gone uh, for good um, after all this. Jagielka could be such a mean
0: pick. That that's actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one really 50,
1: 15 points from Big Phil. Um, all right um so there are not that many of those um but i guess kind of outside of this you know, normality may return soon epiL Benga asks, you know what changes do we need to incorporate in managing our FPL team as well as some mentality uh, for the upcoming season given that the game may be returned to some sense of normality you know maybe one game per week there's gonna be the crowds returning etc etc Um yeah, I, mean, I think it's been interesting, isn't it? It's been, it'll be a bit of a tough gig um, to kind of, again, readjust back to normality. We'll see how the dust settles, but I think that, you know, it's not been too bad. I think that BT still said they're going to retain that sort of Saturday night football thing going forward, to much to sugar in the fan group. So they're going to be um, phased games throughout the game week. It's that still going to remain? Return of this crowd should be great. And I think that home, in a way, I think that home is home advantage is still going to be kind of lean lent into to some extent. And the viewer said that earlier as well, that he, he's expecting to sense normality from an analyst side of things too. Uh, what do you think, Anthony, in terms of you know the return to normality? Is there gonna be anything that we should change as FPL managers?
0: I think, and I guess this is something that more comments on what we see on FPL Twitter more than anything. I do think. Of all things that returning to normality will give us is a chance to maybe incorporate a slightly healthier relationship with the game uh, as a community uh, into things. Uh, just things got a li- i think the way that everything has been so drawn out um, in terms of the game weeks, but yet at the same time the game weeks have been so relentless. It's kind of meant that it's been easy to be more fatigued by the FPL season or the frustrations of the season. You know, if you had a bad captaincy blank, you might have been watching that game week for four more or five more days after that for example that's not something that we're going to have uh next season uh even if you know we do have kind of slightly spaced out fixtures still we're not going to have that we won't have that relentlessness as well you'll kind of have a three or four day period to be able to forget about it and then come back to it again and so it's it's those sort of things that really stand out to me when i look at this yes statistically you might expect home advantage to come into things again and yes you'd expect the crowd to come into it and I suspect we're going to see some sort of alteration to uh, handball rules and how VAR is implemented and all the rest of it, which could affect how FPL scores uh, come about. But at the same time, we don't know a huge amount about how that's going to play out yet until we have a bit of data Mm. to look at. And so I'd be getting into the real hypothetical zone to get into that too much.
1: I think you're right. Like I think that like. Being able to think about FPL as being a game. I put a, a thread on Twitter for a little while ago, and I think it's about the fact that because we've all been indoors and all kind of just kind of become a bit virtual as a, as a kind of being, I think that like FPL, your kind of account of every now and again has become a bit more kind of bigger than how you are. And I think being able to see it just as kind of an incidental part of your life rather than some just kind of integral to who you are is going to be really, really interesting. Because I think, hopefully, next year we're all going to chill out. We're all going to be able to sit back and just kind of be like, "Yeah, you know, this is how things have gone." But it was just FPL. I'm hoping that is definitely true. Um, the return of the crowd should be great. As I said last week, from a reflection on the FA Cup final, um, it was really good to see kind of normality, an and this game week as well. Just kind of watching the games uh, from a nicest point of view. Um, And that's normality from kind of seeing the fans kind of enjoying themselves, watching the games. And I think the West Brom versus West Ham, I've just watched. And West Brom, especially, they're going to be thinking to themselves, God, if the fans were here the whole time, things would have been very, very different. So next year, it may be really interesting to see. What happens when we kind of learnt from this kind of sterile football that we've seen without any fans in the stadium, and it's all been kind of fan sort of it's all been played through the mic system uh, to what it is now? I think that's going to be a really interesting sort of reversion back to the mean. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess Tom, the next question is more one for you, and it's uh, shots on the meetup. FPL Jack is asking how many shots that you'll be having on the twenty fourth of July, perhaps with a few friends.
1: Well, um, I'm, an, I'm not going to be taking that many shots because I need to be there from 3pm till late so people can come and go. And <laughs> um, I guess this kind of gets into um, the FPL Meetup in London this year. It'll be on 24th of July in collaboration with Planet FPL and Surgery at the Estes Tap in Thessalane, um, which is by this system's link. Um, I met up with uh, Surgery Planet uh, yesterday uh, to get a venue finalised for this year's Meetup and um, i mean yes it's just in the pub uh, but it will no doubt be a great event that we can you know, we try to do it every summer basically and uh, the idea is that we have it all day for 3 p.m as said earlier to late so we we'll come and go and it's you know very central as well so literally i think it's a nice alternative for those who can't make or don't want to make fests um, and miss event with soul it's definitely worth showing up you know even if you're not those people who comes with other people and knows everybody in the community or you're kind of just a listener who's outside of social media everyone's so open everyone's so friendly and um, everyone will welcome you to the event Anthony are you going to try to make your way I do know it's obviously a bit different isn't it these days
0: yeah I'd love to but just it, it seems like the vaccine situation here like we're uh, the eu in general is catching up on the us and the uk pretty rapidly actually and it looks like we'll probably finish the job before uh you two uh, you two uh, nations but at the same time it probably looks like it's going to be a little bit too close for me unfortunately much as i'd love to be at it which is the way things are anyway we have a question coming in from someone else i don't know who this guy is some nick harris guy he wrote in on WhatsApp to ask who are the top picks for captaincy this week. And I guess this brings us in quite nicely to our transfers and captains as well.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I guess the, the sensible pick is always going to be Salah, isn't it? I'm playing against uh, Crystal Palace. Yep. Sensible, yep. sensible punt, of course, Liverpool player who isn't Salah. And then the yep. big one is somebody outside of that. Um, so, I mean, I'm looking uh, to move on to my own transfers <laughs> and captains. Looking at Dominic Lewin to Firmino, could be my captain as well. Uh, it, genuinely, it's so open, isn't it? It really is. I think it's going to go down to the wire. I'm not going to be um, giving an endorsement on this broadcast for who I'm going to be captioning, except to say it's
0: probably not going to be Salah, given my O.R. What about you? I think I am going to go for Salah just to do some damage limitation. I kind of feel like I just want to hold my, like, 30-ish K rank at this point and move forward from there. I would be tempted in a kind of a parallel universe to go outside that and captain someone else, but I I just don't think I want to. Then in terms of transfers, I have both Son and Kane in my side, and I don't want to have both of them playing Leicester in a game that Leicester have to win if they want to have any chance of screen Champions League football. So I suspect it's Son who will move on. Uh, I don't even know who I'm going to get in. And there's a bit of a punt potential in there. Either a City midfielder. Aubameyang, is it? Uh, if I had a massive budget, I'd be able to consider it. But Aubameyang, thankfully, is possibly just a little bit too far away in terms of affordability. Nick Pepe. So, Bye, bye, bye. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a problem. Or Martinelli, indeed. Uh, look, there are some good options there. I could even go for some kind of random other lower-priced Liverpool midfielder, but that kind of feels like something kind of silly to do. So, with that in mind, I would say the likeliest option is that I go for someone like Ferran Torres or Phil Foden or something, and just hope you know hope that we get some sort of information on Sunday to allow me to do that. Price wouldn't be a problem. I might be tempted by Marcus Rashford if Ole gives some sort of indication that he'll be playing. Even in a weakened United team, I'd like to have him because that weakened United team has quite a few flared players that you'd expect will set up chances whilst United might not necessarily be that good defensively or kind of in terms of midfield solidity. An Arsenal player would be tempting as well, but Arsenal are just so all over the place that I'm not sure if I could actually double down on it in the end. So that's uh, that's where I'm at with that. Tom,
1: I don't blame you there at all. I think it's it's one of those things where, like, as I heard earlier on, it's all the lottery, it's all lucky dip, and you could bang or bang or yang, and it's going to be someone random. It's going to be like you know <laughs> the Martin Noble. It's going to be you know uh, Phil Jagielka. Phil Jagielka against Burnley, who blow up and do everything. Fabio be, like, Silva, because my nicest, who scores a hat trick. Holly Burke. Ollie Burke. Burke's been terrible out. this year. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's now, this announcement pod.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. We were who got the assist. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already and want to listen to us uh, in our end of season pod and indeed into next season and through the summer. The correspondence will return, but not in the pod that's going to come in the next week or so to review the season. So basically, if you want to get it in, who got the assist at gmail.com. But as I said, I would suggest you write it while you're having a nice summer barbecue and just want to have a few minutes of peace while you're doing that.
1: Oh, cool. yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, back one evening next week. I think, Anthony, I'm not too sure we've decided yet. We need to try to kind of get Nick uh, involved, uh, obviously, um, to put a bottom on the season uh, with an end of season awards podcast, for, uh, awards for all sorts of different things that have happened during the course of the season. Enjoy the final day. Speak very, very soon. I Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.